Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Um, I apologize for not publishing a new episode last week. I have been in the process of creating a brand new group program called Nervous System Hygiene, and I just didn't have time to get to the podcast. So here we are this week. Um, What else is new in my life? Oh, so a couple weeks ago, I taught my Nervous System 101 workshop. It was the second time teaching this workshop. Um, It was a sold out workshop. Again, over 100 people bought tickets, and I just love educating about the nervous system and learning about the nervous system was so huge for my own journey. And I feel like so many of the things that were inaccessible to me prior to learning about my nervous system and how to work with my nervous system to heal my body, um, I just feel like a lot of things were inaccessible to me. And through nervous system work, so much has opened up and my world has gotten so much more expansive And I've experienced, I feel, exponentially fast healing in my mind and my body as I've learned to work with and take care of my nervous system. And so I posted on Instagram a few weeks ago a a reel, um, and it was a fast um, motion reel. Um, or time-lapse, that's what it's called, time-lapse, not fast motion. <laughs> um, I posted a time-lapse reel of doing my own nervous system hygiene practice because I was creating a new one for myself and I was inspired to create a new nervous system hygiene practice from working with the guest on today's podcast. And I can't wait to introduce her to you, but I want to finish telling this story first. So anyway, I posted this reel about creating my own new nervous system hygiene practice, and I got so much response from people being like, can you teach me how to create my own nervous system hygiene practice? This is something that I need to know. And it just felt like the right time to offer this program was right on the heels of the Nervous System 101 workshop. And so that's what I'm doing. Um, It's actually too late now for you guys who are listening now to sign up for it, but I will be teaching Nervous System 101 workshop again, probably in April, and I'll be doing another round of Nervous System Hygiene after that workshop. So stay tuned. And if you're not on my email list, that really is the best way to stay in touch with me and learn of any new offerings or programs or even open coaching spots that I have available. The email list is the way to go. So if you would like to join my email list, I will say thank you by giving you a free training on how to hack your nervous system with cold plunges. And the link for that training is below, linked in the show notes. So check that out, get on the email list. And if you're interested in any of my offerings in the future, that is going to be the best place for you to learn about those things. 
All right, with that said, I cannot wait to get into today's episode. I have with me my real life friend who I met through Instagram and we have since started a friendship and we have hung out in real life a couple of times and we stay in touch on Voxer and it's just been a really special addition to have Marissa in my life. So Marissa Meyer is a physical therapist and a mind-body practitioner. She believes a core pillar of the healing process is deepening our relationship with our bodies and learning how to work with our own unique energies, emotions, and bodily states. She helps people through the process of learning the language of their body, utilizing intuitive movement, somatic processing, and nervous system education to move through their current existence into a more embodied and anchored way of being. And in today's episode, Marissa and I are going to be talking a lot about chronic pain and the nervous system. Um, We're sharing Marissa's interest in sleuthing out the difficult cases. She talks in the episode about loving to work with people who have tried everything and have really, um, you know, issues that aren't low-hanging fruit, as she calls them. Um, We share why people deal with chronic pain through the lens of the nervous system. We discuss the very unique expression of symptoms, including chronic pain, when the nervous system is dysregulated. We talk about attachment to pain, identity, outcomes, and more. We share the profound usefulness of slow, gentle, subtle movements and my own experience with Marissa teaching me some slow gentle, subtle movements was actually what inspired me to revamp my nervous system hygiene practice. So we're talking about that. We're also talking about the difference between global muscles and stabilizing muscles, which was really important for me to learn. And we're talking about finding an anchor to help sit with chronic pain. Um, So this is a really special episode for me for personal reasons, as well as uh, podcast reasons because I've never talked about chronic pain and the nervous system. And I think Marissa and I are going to continue teaching about chronic pain and the nervous system. We have some exciting things in the works that I can't wait to share with you in the future. But until then, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope it supports you, especially if you or someone you know is living with chronic pain. I believe this episode will not only give you a greater understanding of chronic pain through the lens of your nervous system, but also hope that it is possible to recover even if you've been in pain for a really long time. So enjoy. Hello, Marissa. Welcome to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. Hi, Lindsay. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for you to be here too. So I just want to tell people who are listening that you and I actually know each other in person and we're real life friends mm-hmm. and we met on Instagram though. So that's really fun. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And the reason we met was because this last summer I was posting about this psoas, right hip, right low back pain that I've had for almost three years now. So everyone who listens to the podcast regularly is like really familiar with me talking about this issue and um you took an interest in my issue (laughs) um do you want to talk about why you were so interested in it and just like what your work is in physical therapy um because I know you're not just like an ordinary physical therapist I know your um your approach is like really specific and that you you love a challenge of chronic (laughs) issues so can you talk about that 
Yeah, yeah, no, I am always really interested when people start talking about something that they've tried everything to fix that just hasn't gotten better. Because usually, you know, the low hanging fruit things that other providers might have addressed in sort of that initial evaluation of that person um, are probably resolved, right? So, so what's going on is a lot deeper usually. And um, that's where I love to love to sleuth around. And I love to kind of play in that, in that zone. And, and so I've always been really interested in chronic conditions sort of because of that. I'm really interested in um, the, the issues beyond just the physical presentation of someone's body um, that contribute to two things like pain and two things like um, like bodily discomforts. And so when you were talking about your hip, I like had to have all the information because I wanted to know that like all that low hanging fruit had been addressed because then it'd be kind of fun to see, you know, what, what could it be? Cause there are so many reasons why people, people deal with chronic pain regularly. Yeah. So what are some of the reasons why people deal with chronic pain? Yeah. Um, I would say one of the biggest things is sort of what you, what you talk about and what you preach about all the time is nervous, the nervous system. Um, chronic pain is usually a function of some sort of nervous system misfiring, essentially, um, our body is sensing a threat. Um, it's sensing something like tissue damage or, um, something that could potentially harm our bodies. Um, when there might not even be that sort of damage that's occurring. So our body is getting the signal to, to, you know, respond a certain way to protect, to, um, withdraw essentially from some sort of stimulus. And usually the stimulus is, is benign. It's not something that's necessarily going to harm us. And so that nervous system dysregulation can cause us to be perceiving pain when there might not necessarily be any sort of damage there to begin with. So, um, Yes, I am. I am very aware of nervous system dysregulation <laughs> presenting with chronic pain. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, it also like another symptom of nervous system dysregulation is anxiety and panic attacks. Another symptom really? is like like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Another mm-hmm. symptom is like digestive issues. Right. So there's like all these like crazy manifestations of nervous system dysregulation in our bodies. Do you have any? insight on why for some people it's digestive issues and for other people it's anxiety and for other people it's chronic pain do you do you know why some people end up with certain things when other people end up with other things yeah I mean that's a really good question and I haven't thought about it in that much depth to be totally honest I feel like um our bodies might be kind of predisposed to certain things that maybe from our past maybe from our childhood maybe you know, the way that we move, the way that we kind of function in our world predisposes us to have little areas of, of weakness or little areas that might be, um, a little bit more vulnerable to certain things. So like for me, I, my, my nervous system speaks to me in digestion. Like I always have issues with digestion when my nervous system is out of whack. And, 
Um, I had a lot of um, issues as a kid with digestion and was kind of on a lot of medications for it, um, a lot of antibiotics, um, a lot of, um, like, I think I was born jaundiced. So I have some like liver dysfunction, you know, that just, I was, I'm, I think I'm just predisposed to some more GI issues. Um, and I think of people who have chronic pain, they might have some things in their movement that, that sort of predisposes them to, you know, the body, like the joints, the muscles, that kind of stuff being, being what is vulnerable in their body. So maybe they stand in a certain way that puts stress on a certain area, or maybe they, um, are used to participate in a certain movement that was really hard on their bodies or in a sport or something like that, that taxed their body in a certain way. And so they have these little vulnerabilities that once that nervous system is a little bit jacked up, that's kind of the first thing, kind of the first thing to fall. Mm, yeah. That's like the chink in the armor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, where is your weakness and, and that's sort of where, where a lot of that stuff manifests. Yeah. So what's so weird for me is as you're saying that I'm like nodding my head, like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then at the same time, when you brought up, like as a child, you were born with jaundice and you had a lot of digestive issues as a kid. And so maybe you're just predisposed to experience nervous system dysregulation in your gut. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking about, well, what are the, some of the things that I was predisposed to as mm-hmm. a kid or that I was dealing with? So I had digestive issues as a kid Mm-hmm. that I do not have now. I mean, I was a chronically constipated little kid. Mm-hmm. And when I was like nine or something, I started having, I mean, this is going to sound really funny. Um, I called them my egg burps. Yeah. So some <laughs> like randomly at times for like literally probably three or four years of my childhood. Um, every once in a while, I would just get these burps and they would be like these little burps that just like came at pretty regular intervals and they tasted like rotten egg. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) to this day, I still have no idea what that was from. Um, I remember my mom taking me to the GP and he prescribed me, I'm pretty sure it was a uh, an acid blocker. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure he decided that it was some form of like heartburn or acid reflux. Yeah. Um, and I would take those like whenever I experienced this and I think it probably helped. And then at a certain point, I just, it just quit happening. Like it just mm-hmm. stopped. But then, yeah. um, years later, like 20 years later, I don't even know what I ate or drank or what happened, but like, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my stomach just hurting really bad. And Mm -hmm. like, I sat up in bed. And as soon as I sat up, just the motion of sitting up, like pushed the the air out of my lungs. And Mm -hmm. I let out this gigantic burp that like (laughs) tasted and smelled like rotten eggs. Uh And I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening again, except for this, then now, if it ever happens to me as an adult, which is very, 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 very rare. I mean, it has Mm -hmm. not happened in years, but from like age, probably 27 to like 34, maybe once a year, I would, I would have this thing, (laughs) but when I was a kid, it it was these little tiny burps, like, Mm -hmm. like that as an adult, it happens when I'm like asleep in bed. And then I wake, I like wake up and sit up and it forces this giant okay I know this has nothing to do with chronic pain or nervous system (laughs) stuff or whatever the point I'm trying to make is that 
I, I don't have digestive issues now mm-hmm. and I don't remember having any kind of unaddressed or unsolved pain or injury or whatever, when I was a kid. So yeah. it's just weird to me mm-hmm. that if I had this weird digestive thing and I was on a lot of antibiotics as a kid too. I mean, we had mm-hmm. a, I don't know about you, but we had a, you know, a bottle of pink amoxicillin, like bubblegum <laughs> flavored amoxicillin in the refrigerator at all times. Oh. And like, if one of us got like a stuffy nose or, or something, my mom would just be like, take a swig, you know, mm-hmm. and we would just literally drink the amoxicillin out yep. of the bottle. So <laughs> that was, that was fantastic for my gut. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just weird to me because what you're saying about being predisposed to it, because that was kind of a pattern in your childhood, it makes so much sense to me. But Mm -hmm. for me with this weird hip thing, um, I don't remember anything like that as a kid. So as much as it makes sense to me, I'm just like, oh man, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that's it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And, and that's the thing. So like we have these really like logical ways of explaining why chronic pain might exist. But the reality is, is that like, if we actually pretend that we know why chronic pain exists, like we're just lying to ourselves because it's so much more complex than what we like to make it out to be. We like these really neat explanations of why someone's in pain or why someone has gut issues. They have, you know, they have SIBO, they have, you know, H. pylori, they have whatever it is, you know, or you have chronic pain because you sit with crappy posture, like those those explanations make sense. And sometimes like the body speaks to us in a really, you know, our own individual bodies speak to us in really unique ways. So what might make sense for our like logical brain might not be how our body, our body doesn't necessarily fit into that box. Our body doesn't really know logic. So it's going to communicate with us in a way it's going to communicate with us. And part of the, the process of uncovering why someone might have chronic pain is really this deep dive into how their individual body communicates with them and trying to figure out what is your body trying to tell you with this symptom that might be unexplained by conventional or even alternative medicine. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is that you don't necessarily have to have like an injury or some kind of structural thing going on to experience chronic pain. Um, and that it might even be like an anomaly why three different people that all have bad posture, one of them has chronic pain and the other two don't like Mm -hmm. who knows. Right. (laughs) Exactly. They've done all sorts of studies about like people, they, they take people's imaging. So like they'll do an MRI on someone's back. Um, and someone who has a really horrible, you know, spine on this image, like there's a lot of degeneration or there's a disc issue or whatever that person, the, the amount that that image correlates with that person's pain is so low, um, that really the images aren't, aren't even really predictive of, of someone's pain. Um, so people will come in to, you know, see a physical therapist and they'll say, well, yeah, I have this, 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 and this, and they'll list off 10 things that their doctor told them showed up on their MRI. And, and there it's not predictive of what their pain should be, you know? So they could have that horrible image and have horrible pain. They could have that image and have no pain at all. 
there's another study where they've looked at cadavers over that are over the age of 80 and every single one of them has a rotator cuff tear. It's like a hundred percent have some kind of tear in the rotator cuff <laughs> and not 100% of 80 year olds have shoulder pain. Yeah. So really pain is so it is somewhat linked to pathology, but it's not, it's not super predictive. Actually, if you have specific tissue damage that your body is going to communicate you via, via pain signal. Um, so it requires so much more nuance and so much more exploration of, of someone's unique bodily messages to really get to the root of why, why you might be in pain. Yeah. I agree. And I do you remember whenever we met for breakfast back in October and I was <laughs> telling you about the book that I had just finished reading called The Way Out and it yeah. was okay, so I'm going to link to that in the show notes for people because it was epic. Um mm-hmm. but he also he says exactly what you just said, which is like imaging is not an indicator of of pain and mm-hmm. somebody could have something structurally wrong on an yeah. image and have no pain. And somebody could have something structurally wrong on an image and not have pain in that part of their body, but they have pain somewhere else, or they have nothing structurally wrong on their image, but they still have pain. Um, And that, Mm -hmm. that is like definitely my story. I mean, back in October, I finally, after two and, you know, three quarters years of this, um, I finally Mm -hmm. was like, maybe I should just go get an MRI. Like I probably should just go see, because I, at that point I had been seeing, physical therapist. I'd been to the chiropractor. I had been doing things like, like walking, uh, foam rolling, stretching, uh, pelvic floor work. Like I had been doing all kinds of things, trying turmeric. I even like experimented with myself and took a couple days in a row, took like a really high dose of ibuprofen to see like, mm-hmm. if I could calm the inflammation that way did absolutely nothing. Like I might as well take a nothing. Um, so finally I was like, okay, like I'm going to go get an MRI. Mm-hmm. So I go get the MRI and the results come back in. And it was literally like, there's nothing remarkable on this MRI, mm-hmm. nothing. And that's the best news, right? But it's yeah. also the most frustrating. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's invalidating, right? Yeah. It's, I think that's one of the biggest issues with that is is people have this this persistent and frustrating pain and then tests come back negative you know where there's nothing that a doctor can can show you that proves that why you should have pain and it's super invalidating and I've worked with so many people who have dealt with practitioners who say you know the pain's all in your head (laughs) and and while there's truth to like there there's pain that comes from your nervous system which is part of your head like that pain is still real like that pain is still incredibly real and you deserve to have someone listen and work with you to uncover how you can navigate that how you can navigate that chronic pain that you're still experiencing because negative MRI doesn't, doesn't get rid of pain. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And also, I mean, I was at the point where it was like, you know, so, you know, my story, I had a suicide attempt in 2019 and I checked myself into the psych hospital, like first day. And that was like one of the greatest acts of surrender that I've ever yeah. like had ever. And honestly, I had gotten to the point in this pain in my hip where if the MRI showed something, mm-hmm. I was ready to be like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll get a cortisol shot. Like mm-hmm. I was ready. I was just ready to surrender and be like, okay, maybe I can't solve this 
naturally. Maybe I can't solve this through physical therapy or stretching or chiropractic or myofascial massage. That was another thing that I did a lot of like, okay, maybe I can't, maybe I just have to surrender. And like, I ideally, I don't want a cortisol shot, but if that gets me some relief, I'm willing to do it. And then the damn MRI came back and, and they called me and they were like, it's unremarkable. And I was like, so that means I can't even get a cortisol shot, does it? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yep, there's, we don't even know where we would put the cortisol shot yeah. or cortis- yeah. cortisone shot. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it can feel really hopeless too, because when, when those things come back negative, you know, when there's no inflammation indicated even, or there's, you know, no, there's really nothing. Um, it feels like there's no like problem to be fixed. Like the problem hasn't been identified. So there's no solution. There's no cortisone shot. There's no surgery. There's no, you know, medication, you know, necessarily that a doctor is going to give you because they don't see the problem. Right. You know, the problem is pain and that's, you know, their training, right. Where if, you know, you come in and there's nothing surgical to fix, the surgeon's going to say, well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and that's really hard to hear as a patient or as a client that there's nothing that you can do about it. It's yeah. very, it's, it, it, I mean, that hopelessness is I think part of a, like a huge contributing factor to why people have chronic pain and that invalidation too, I think is a huge contributing factor to why people have chronic pain. Yeah. And it's also kind of, perplexing to me that this chronic pain for me appeared while I was learning how to work with my nervous system. Mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting to experience such a reduction or even a complete elimination of like some of the old weird symptoms I used to have. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I don't even think I qualify for like my mental health diagnoses anymore. Like I don't think I qualify for generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I've gone like almost three years now with no panic attacks. I don't think, I think that means I don't have a panic disorder anymore, you know? (laughs) Um, so I've, I've worked through so much like anxiety and panic with nervous system work. I've Mm -hmm. managed to heal any like weird lingering digestive things that I used to have back when I was in wellness culture and thought Mm -hmm. I was allergic to gluten and dairy. Um, (laughs) Didn't we all? (laughs) Yeah, we've all been, we're all allergic to gluten and dairy in the wellness world. Um, I've, you know, I've experienced like the resolution of uh, pain in other areas of my body, like hormone imbalances. I mean, my cycles have gotten healthier. My PMS has gone down. Mm -hmm. My brain fog has gotten better. Like Mm -hmm. I've just experienced so much improvement that like, it's such a, a weird thing to me that to have all of these other nervous system related issues, either like completely resolve or improve significantly. Mm -hmm. And then to have this new thing, like pop up in the middle of all of that work. It's It's so frustrating. Right. And, and it can feel very much so like, you know, like I've done all the right things I've done it all. You know, I, I checked off all the boxes and this thing is still here. And, and I think that's where like that curious exploration of it, you know, is, is huge. And I know you, you do a lot of that where, you know, you, you approach it with that curiosity, you approach it with the, you know, what is my body trying to tell me? Um, 
I do, but to be honest, I don't feel like I'm very good at translating those messages when it's like an active issue. It was the same whenever I had anxiety. I mean, I knew the whole time my body is trying to tell me something, but like, honestly, I have an emotional attachment to the outcome of this, you know, like hundred percent, just like I had an emotional attachment to the outcome of like wanting to heal anxiety, you know, like, so it's hard for me when I have an emotional attachment to the outcome of something, it's Mm -hmm. really hard for me to listen to the messages that my body is telling me and then translate them in a way that isn't biased towards Mm -hmm. my emotional attachment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think there was something that you had said a while ago about being attached to almost the identity of having pain too, or the identity of having something to fix. Mm-hmm. And I notice that with a lot of people where they'll get really far in their healing and there'll be like one thing that their body is like still clinging on to and like one issue that just won't go away or that keeps kind of rearing its ugly head. And that's usually the question that we eventually get to asking, you know, it's, it's not always the best thing to ask right away, but um, for those who are ready for it. Um, it's a really beautiful question to ask is like, you know, what, what are, what are you, if you lost this pain, if this pain went away, like, what would that mean? What would that mean to you? What, what identities have you tied to this symptom, to this, you know, to this, um, this pain, this, whatever you're navigating, what, what identity are you set up to lose when this goes away? Um, and a lot of people, when they're, they're in that space of not having a problem to fix, they don't, they don't know how to exist in that space. Like they've lived for fixing problems. Our society has built people who are really good at fixing problems, but we're not that good (laughs) even sitting with like the absence of those sorts of things, or even sitting with our problems and not trying to fix them. And I think that's what some of those end, end stage, like last, last lingering symptoms sometimes can indicate is, you know, you're stepping into this really new, really scary often version of yourself that, that you might not be ready for. And that's okay. If you're not ready for it, that's okay. But it's kind of that acknowledgement that, that you are setting yourself up to lose an identity with the loss of this symptom that I think people kind of fail to recognize that that's actually really, really fucking hard. Yeah. I've actually sat with that a lot. (laughs) And I mean, I did, I did have a little bit of that come up where like I've been in fix it mode with my body for quite some time Mm -hmm. and like wellness culture definitely amplified that a lot because in wellness culture, there's always something wrong with you, right? There's always something to fix. And even this like quirky thing that your body does, as soon as you're in wellness culture, that suddenly becomes this like symptom that you have to heal, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I have sat with that and I'm at the point now where like, I don't really feel like this pain, um, I try not to let it inhibit my life as much as possible. Like I still do most of the things that I would love to do. Um, and I, I don't even necessarily feel an attachment to the pain itself, but I definitely feel an attachment to the outcome where I want the pain to go away. Yeah. You know, like that's where I feel like the attachment is now. Um, I have sat with the like questions about identity and like what story is my ego trying to create out of this? 
Mm-hmm. Um, is this, is this another manifestation of like needing to be a victim of something? Mm-hmm. If, if I didn't have this problem, would that mean that I don't have anything to talk about on Instagram that's wrong with me? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I've, right? I've sat with all mm-hmm. those really weird questions. And at this point, I truly am just like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I know. And sometimes And I don't know how long you've sat in that space of just like, I don't know, but, but sometimes it does take (laughs) like that total, you know, like hands off the wheel, you know, complete and total surrender, you know, losing the attachment to the outcome, losing, you know, any like desire even to like try to fix it, like before things really start to move through you. And, and that's one way that it can go. And then the other way that I see it going is like, maybe there is something, you know, maybe there is a component of, of your body that, that needs attention, you know, and, and it can go both ways. And that's where I think working with somebody is so important. Like having a coach, having a therapist, having someone who can really help you and guide you through that deep dive is so important because you're never going to find the answer to this on Google. I mean, you're just not, (laughs) it requires so much deep exploration. And, and like in your case, you've gone deep, (laughs) you've gone so deep (laughs) to the point where it's like, what else is there? Yeah. What else is there here? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea, but you know what? Like, as long as I'm in this body and like, I also have to make peace with the fact that like every day I'm like getting closer to dying. We all are. And like Mm -hmm. bodies, bodies break down over time. And Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm slightly too young to start experiencing (laughs) this breakdown Mm -hmm. or pain or whatever. Um, cause Mm -hmm. I plan on living for, you know, a few more decades and it, it actually gives me a lot of anxiety to think about this pain being there for decades longer. Like that, mm-hmm. that feels really scary yeah. and, mm-hmm. and hopeless, but at the same time, like it's, it's not constant. And it's something that I have learned to sort of adapt my way around, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it really only becomes like glaringly obvious in certain positions or after you know, like I don't really ever stack firewood anymore (laughs) because of it, like certain things like that, that I might be missing out on. But anyway, I feel like that's enough of talking about my hip. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure people are like, can we please get on to something else? (laughs) Um, so something that you introduced me to back in October, when I met you in person for the first time, and we, we went to your studio and you worked with me and it was, it was such a magical session for me. Mm -hmm. Um, were these really slow, um, gentle, subtle movements. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling you then, like, we have to talk about this on my podcast. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's pivot over a little bit into, um, the slow, gentle, subtle movements that most people are like, this isn't even doing anything like, because mm-hmm. we're so conditioned to believe that like rehab or physical therapy or exercise has to be these like big movements using these big mm-hmm. muscle groups. And 
like that that's what it has to look like. But actually I have experienced the complete opposite. And for me, the mm-hmm. slow, gentle, especially some of the core work that you gave me to do. Yeah. It's like, it's actually one of my favorite nervous system regulating tools now mm-hmm. because it yeah. drops me into my body and anything that I may have been worried about or overthinking or overanalyzing it's like gone because I, it takes so much concentration and focus yeah. and mm-hmm. even effort to do some of these movements. So, um, please riff on that for as <laughs> long as you would like. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to preface it too. Like there definitely is a camp of physical therapists who are very much so about like, you know, all of our patients should be deadlifting. All of our patients should be squatting. And like, I think that there's, there's truth to that in like a muscle recruitment standard. But I think what people fail to really see when that becomes the standard of care, like everyone gets under a really big weight (laughs) is that we're, we're sort of bypassing this group of people who who have chronic pain, whose nervous systems are really dysregulated. And so in the population that I work with, I do tend to slow things down a lot. I do tend to take off a lot of weight when it comes to the exercises I give, especially at the beginning, because there's only like, even though our bodies are so resilient and our bodies can handle a lot of things like we have to honor where our bodies are at in that moment. And most people who have chronic pain, um, they need to work with their bodies in that really slow, gentle capacity. And they need to develop that skill of being able to tune in to what their body is doing before we make the movement really intense and really complex. And so that's really where I start most people. And it's almost kind of like, I know like you're really big on the cold plunges and it's like when you're in that sort of environment, like you have to focus on, you know, like the only thing you can focus on is your breathing. Like you're totally focused on your body and that's really what's slowing things down and really focusing on like each little minute movement does is it really brings you into your body in kind of that structured way. Um, And our bodies tend to do better when we're not just doing these big movements that kind of continue the pain cycle. Like when we're just sort of hammering in that cycle over and over and over again, we're doing a movement over and over and over again that causes pain. Our bodies really learn to respond to that. And then that movement is painful, you know, even if it's not necessarily like we're not necessarily doing something that would traditionally cause pain. So that's really, I slow it down to really break it down to basic movement and basic muscle activation. And then once we kind of build that resilience of the nervous system, that's when we can go to more complex movement. But for most people in that boat, slowing it down, making it really intentional is just like so vitally important. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I doing some of the slow movements that you've given me to do really put a spotlight on weakness that I had that I didn't know I had, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like some of the core, the core things, um, there's still, I mean, I've been doing them for like two, three months now and they're still hard for me to do. And like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to isolate those little muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, because most people think that core work is like 
crunches and, you know, uh, planks and stuff like that. And, and I feel like the muscles that activate for me when I do some of these slow, gentle movements that you've given me, I mean, I, I don't know if you, maybe you remember that day that we were in your office and I was like, I felt that muscle turn on and I started crying because I was like, I, I haven't felt that part of my body turn on in like years. Yeah. And I didn't even know I was missing it until there it was. And Mm -hmm. so it was huge for me. And the other thing that was so huge about this slow, gentle movement is, um, maybe some of our listeners will resonate with this is like for my whole life, I've had, I have a sort of type a perfectionistic, um, overachiever kind of, you know, I don't want to call it personality. That's the story my ego's created for me mm-hmm. as a response <laughs> to trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been like doing, doing really fast paced, talking fast, moving fast. Like I, I don't really know how to slow down very well. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we were in your office and you were showing me to do these movements and I was sort of like going really fast and you're like, no, 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 no. Do it at like 25% of the speed <laughs> that you're really wanting yeah. to do it in. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's another reason why they, that stuff has been so great for my nervous system. So even though those movements haven't resulted in, um, relief of the pain yet, mm-hmm. um, it has been beneficial for me in other ways because, not only does it drop me into my body in a really profound way, but it's helping me to learn how to slow down in other mm-hmm. aspects of my life too, which yeah. is really beneficial for my nervous system. So do you want to elaborate on that anymore? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's like, like you're not alone in the, you know, doing an exercise at like, you know, you know, 20 times the speed that it needs to be at. Um, cause I think that's just the culture we have here, right? Like we, we rush to do everything and we don't ever really take the time to move intentionally. And there's a reason why I tell people, <laughs> like, I never tell people sets and reps <laughs> with my exercises. I say, do it until you get tired or bored. Because when you get bored, you lose that, that concentration, you lose that intention, um, that intentionality of movement. And um, it's so, it's so interesting to me how we can, I can get people who do CrossFit, who do these really big, big, heavy movement patterns that don't even know how to breathe. <laughs> they don't have the, the, the mobility um, or even the, the know-how in their body to really take a really nice diaphragmatic breath. And so that's wild to me to um, that, um, that, that people who are doing that kind of activity can, cannot have that foundation of, of awareness in their bodies. Um, and I think that that's just so important for setting a strong foundation for all other movement patterns, you know, whether you do decide decide to go, um, go lift heavy weights, or you're just need to stack wood, (laughs) you know, in order to get through the winter. Um, I think that foundational knowledge of how to connect to your body in that really slow and intentional way is just so powerful. And we, we skim over that all the time. 
Cause it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. <laughs> it, it, it's hard. It's physically hard. And like those little tiny muscles that are activating, like they get tired really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it's hard. It, it is physically hard in a way that is hard to describe because it's not like I'm out of breath. Like, it's not like yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> like I've been running up and down the stairs 50 times or something. It's like a very different kind of tired. Yes. Um, and the other thing that I am really excited to talk to you about though, is like, when I do some of these movements and some of the other nervous system hygiene practices that I do, mm-hmm. um, I experiencing some, like I experiencing, I experience some like <laughs> uh, spontaneous tremoring or shaking. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling me that that's like, that's actually a good thing. That's like a somatic release of something. And mm-hmm. so I was wondering if we could talk about the, the spontaneous tremoring and shaking whenever we're doing certain movements, whether it's like trauma release exercises or physical therapy or Pilates or something else. Like, yeah. What's that all yeah. about? Yeah. So with some of those like longer holds, you know, so I, I had you do an exercise where you were holding a position Um, and kind of giving yourself some resistance and like your abdominal muscles were shaking while you were doing it. Um, And that's really common. So I see that for people who have, um, who have some issues with, I call it like the, like your body trying to figure out how to actually use those smaller muscles in conjunction with the bigger muscles. So like, think of the big muscles, like your global muscles as like, the muscles that allow you to like actually move your body. Like you're actually bending forward or you're actually bending backwards or you're actually like creating a bodily movement. And then I, I, so those are like their global muscles. And then you have your stabilizing muscles and those help keep joints in the same place. So those help stabilize you in one position. So a lot of times we're really used to using our global muscles to try to stabilize. And that's not their job. They have a really important job. Like we need to be able to bend forward and bend backwards and move, but they're not, their job is not to stabilize. Um, and then we have our, our stabilizing muscles that a lot of times just decide to, you know, kind of hang out or not do as efficient as a job because these other muscles like to take over and try to do the stabilizing job for people, for the, for the joints. And so when you're in that place of holding a position, your big muscles, your global muscles are trying to do the job of the stabilizing muscles because they only know how to move your body. You get these shakes, like your body's kind of tugging you in different directions, trying to figure out, wait, how do I actually stabilize this one position? Because that's not the job of that muscle. That job of the muscle is to move you. So you get this like kind of um, like automatic shaking that happens as your body's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, how do I actually hold this position? And then the beautiful thing is that if you hold that for long enough, the shaking will often go away. Your stabilizers will kind of come in and then you'll have that really lovely symphony of your big muscles working with your stabilizers. And then you have kind of that big picture of, okay, now all of these muscles kind of know how to work together. Now I could go and do something a little bit more complex. I can do something with a little bit more weight or whatever it is, what have you. But it's kind of that initial shaking that turns into this really beautiful, like static contraction that allows us to create that stability in our body to go forward and do some more of that complex motion. 
So with the shaking or the tremoring, is there some kind of potentially even like some kind of trauma release happening, even if people are not consciously aware of it? I, I have, I hold the belief that there is, I think that, you know, just like your body's trying to physically figure out what's going on, your body also like shaking does allow that release of energy. You know, it allows us to kind of move through things that might be being held statically in our bodies and it helps kind of move that energy through us. I think all movement does that, but definitely the shaking can, can, hold that purpose. It can definitely have that purpose. Like as your body's trying to figure out what it's trying to do, it's kind of getting rid of the things that it no longer needs in order for that to happen. Mm, Amazing. You know, so much. (laughs) You're so smart. Um, (laughs) yeah, you are. So, um, let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I like really wanted to ask you about. And I think we've covered most of it, I guess uh, one other question I would ask is like, um, since you like specialize in chronic pain, um, and Mm -hmm. educating people about their pain, what are some of your favorite tools to give people, um, either for helping to regulate their nervous systems or helping to find peace within the pain or, um, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, like we've talked about, it's so individualized, you know, and I know, you know that, um, but I would say, you know, the first step in all of this is being able to sit with your body and giving yourself the support to be able to sit with your body. Because when you've experienced trauma, when you have chronic pain, it's not comfortable to sit with your body. It's, it's really actually a, a, an uncomfortable sensation. So really like learning how to resource Um, so I, I kind of call it connecting with your anchor. So finding something either within your body that is comfortable or outside of your body that gives you that sense of comfort that allows you to kind of co-regulate or regulate your body to that more, um, positive or more comfortable sensation. Um, and that's kind of the foundation that we lay. So once we have sort of that, that, that foundational anchoring or sort of that foundational, centering of your body, then we can really do a lot more of that somatic exploration, you know, seeing, okay, what is this discomfort in my body? What does it feel like? What is it like to sit with that? Um, and so we can do a little bit more exploration there. And so a lot of that comes back to, in that exploration to polyvagal theory, which I know you've talked a lot about on, on your podcast. Um, but really it comes down to learning the energies of your body. So when you have this sensation, when you have this experience, how can I work with my body? How can I tap into these resources that I've developed? How can I tap into my anchor? How can I work with this energy to bring me up or bring me down depending on where I need to go? Um, so there's a lot of education on, on polyvagal theory and the nervous system. There's that really, really important piece of learning how to anchor, learning how to ground yourself with some sort of positive sensation. Um, And then movement. I mean, that's a huge tool that I give people is movement that connects themselves with their bodies. So whether that be something that connects you to your core, whether that be something that like opens up your chest, whether that is something that 
is just like a tool with a foam roller or a ball or something like that to just release a part of your body that that you hold tension in. I mean, there are so many tools that we can use to kind of aid this process, but the really foundational piece and the really the most important tool that I can give someone is that ability to to have a communication with their body and to know how to come back to it time and time again. Mm, a thousand million percent. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you have a freebie that you would like to offer people. It's a body awareness journal guide. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So uh, it's just a, in a list of journal prompts that you can download from my website that is sort of just a somatic exploration of that, that allows you to really begin that process of communicating with your body. So kind of tapping into what are the sensations that I notice? What are the sensations that I notice when I think about this certain situation or this situation? Um, how do I feel about my body? You know, what is my current connection to my body? There was just a lot of, a lot of guidance there in terms of beginning that relationship. So, um, I think there are 10 days. So it's kind of a 10 day exploration of, of the body and that somatic connection that you might be able to cultivate sort of in that, in that reflection and in that journaling. Mm, Amazing. Well, we're going to link to that in the show notes so that people can grab that for free and anything else that you wanted to make sure came through today before we close. Um, no, I mean, I think there's, we've covered so much important content and I know you're going to continue to preach about the nervous system, which I I also, I also (laughs) love. Um, and I think it's so, so vitally important. And so I would just say, if you're navigating chronic pain, um, find somebody to support you in that process, you know, find somebody that can be your cheerleader, can be that detective with you, um, that can both like hold space, for the discomfort and also work towards making your life better because there are ways to make your life better, even in some of those, those experiences or those situations of like complete hopelessness. There's, there's always, there's always a way to enhance that quality of life. And so I just encourage people to seek out, seek out somebody to support them along that journey. Mm, absolutely. Other than physical therapist or maybe a massage therapist that comes up, who, who are good support people for that? Um, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, other therapists and coaches that, that deal kind of in that chronic space sphere. Um, but I would say, you know, body workers are a really beautiful, beautiful space holders for, for these really bodily based concerns. Um, and I always am an advocate for somatic exploration and somatic work. So, um, somatic experiencing practitioners or other mind body therapy practitioners that, that you might be able to connect with, um, are, are trained at guiding you through an exploration of your body. So seeking somebody like that would also be, I think a really, a really beneficial move for someone who has chronic pain, especially if you've tried everything. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. This was such an honor. 
Okay, everyone, I hope you loved that episode and found it eye-opening, insightful, and supportive wherever you are in your journey. I just want to remind you that you can download Marissa's free body awareness journal guide to help connect with your body. Um, The link for that is going to be below in the description box or on my website. You can find show notes at lindsaylockett.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 69, and I just appreciate you being here today, and I will talk to you next week. Did you enjoy the show? Awesome. Here's what you can do next. First, make sure you're subscribed. Second, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few moments to rate the podcast. Finally, you can partner with me to keep putting this healing information into the world. For just $5 per month, you will help keep the show ad-free and freely available. If you want to go deeper and connect with me and other trauma healers in community, I invite you to join the Trauma Healer Circle. This private online community is where the magic happens. You get access to bonus podcast episodes, monthly Zoom calls, a community forum, and most importantly, you'll find your people. Go to lindsaylockett.com forward slash circle to join.